You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 228 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story? The U.S. government's COVID-19 strategy has been defined, in part, by focusing almost exclusively on speeding drug development for treatments and vaccines. But the lack of a corresponding effort to mitigate the outbreak could mean it will take years for life to return to normal. But first, here's what happened in Virus News today. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey said it will fine people $50 for not covering their faces at airports and at bus and subway terminals. Since March, the agency has used posters, public service announcements, and other means to promote mask wearing. The new mandate comes as case and hospitalization numbers rise in New York and New Jersey. The states are trying to prevent a second wave of the novel coronavirus. New York City alone has reported almost 24,000 virus-related deaths, about two-thirds of the state's overall total. The U.S. government agreed to pay drug maker Eli Lilly for 300,000 vials of its experimental antibody treatment. The therapy is under regulatory review for emergency authorization use. The funding from Operation Warp Speed, the White House-led effort to quickly secure supply of COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics, will only be put into effect if Lilly's therapy receives a green light from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Finally, U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is bracing for another lockdown in England. New modeling by the UK government's Emergency Scientific Committee suggests the entire country is likely to require the tightest restrictions by mid-December. The modeling suggests that the new wave will lead to more deaths than the first, casting doubt on the British Prime Minister's localized approach. The Sun newspaper reported government scientists predict that about 25,000 people will be hospitalized with the novel coronavirus by the end of November. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. And now for today's main story. The U.S. government's COVID-19 strategy has been to rely on developing vaccines and treatments, rather than emphasize measures to limit the spread of the disease. That could delay the return to normal life for most Americans. While the U.S. has committed more than $10 billion to develop new shots to fight COVID-19, about half of Americans in a Gallup poll said they are wary of taking them. And one report suggests that if the vaccine program has any hiccups, we could be living with the virus well into 2023. I spoke with health reporter Naomi Kresge, who reported on the cost of the government's focus on developing drugs rather than changing behavior. Many hopes in the U.S. and, of course, worldwide are pinned on the arrival of a vaccine for controlling this pandemic. I was just wondering, what are some of the dangers in putting so much weight on the availability of a vaccine? So one significant danger in doing that would be if you pinned all of your hopes on a vaccine and did not do all of the other things that are necessary to try to um, control the pandemic before a vaccine comes. Um, And, you know, the fact of the matter is that just the availability of a vaccine, saying a vaccine is approved, does not mean that suddenly everyone will immediately be immunized. Um, It will take time to distribute vaccine, there will be, you know, priorities will need to be set. Uh, probably vaccine will go first to to healthcare workers and to people with chronic conditions. Um, it will take a long time before uh, before enough of the population can be vaccinated to achieve um, herd immunity via vaccination. Um, we talked with Marie Paul Kini, the research director at INSERM, which is a French health science institute, and she's a former WHO official. And she told us a vaccine isn't a magic wand. Um, It won't be a quick fix, she said, even if it is effective. And let's talk about efficacy, you know, particularly in the U.S. and, you know, what has been put out by the FDA. What are the requirements for how effective a vaccine has to be to be approved? So the FDA has said that um, they would give emergency authorization to a vaccine which is 50% effective, which means that it's what it sounds like it could work in, in half of people. Um, and the, the factor at play there is that the less effective a vaccine is, the more people need to take it in order to protect the population as a whole. And so this is one of these um, 
kind of wild cards. You know, we won't know how long it will take to vaccinate enough people to really protect the population until we know how effective these vaccines that are in final tests right now actually turn out to be. And that raises an issue of trust. Many Americans have said they may not trust the first COVID-19 vaccines that are available or may not be willing to take a vaccine at all. So what needs to happen, in, in your view, to convince Americans to be vaccinated? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, probably some pretty good PR, <laughs> some good marketing. <laughs> um, we interviewed somebody who compared uh, you know the situation to past vaccination campaigns you know back in the day when Elvis was getting vaccinated um, on TV in order to get people to take a polio vaccine um, you know reluctance has been shown um, to be high in some in some surveys people are um, are, a little bit. Let's say some people are waiting to see, you know, what the what the results will be for the vaccines that are being tested. So you've highlighted a number of issues that, even if and when a vaccine is available, as you say, it's not a magic wand. The risk of COVID nineteen will not just go away immediately. So let's talk a little bit more about timelines. You know, in terms of a best case scenario, what would need to happen to significantly lower the risk of COVID-19? And realistically, how soon do you think that's, that's achievable? So we actually went to a consulting company based in London called Airfinity to crunch some of these numbers. So according to their calculations, in order to vaccinate enough people in the U.S. to achieve herd immunity through vaccination by mid-July of 2021, the government would need for all six vaccines that it has purchased in advance to succeed. So all six of these would have to work and be safe, and it would need to get all of the optional extra allocations that are in those purchase deals as well. Um, so each of these deals, there's kind of a base level of vaccine in the deal, and then there's an optional extra amount. And so the government, the U.S. government, would need to get to that base level, and then they would also need to get the optional extra amount. And then obviously all six vac vaccines would have to work. And if all of the, those things can happen, sort of a perfect case scenario, depending on how well how well the vaccine works, of course, they could potentially have quelled the virus by mid-July of next year. Now, if let's say only four of the six vaccines are approved, and that would actually be pretty good, you know, in drug development, things are not guaranteed to work. And so it's not unreasonable to think that only four could be approved. Um, and then let's say production and supply run into some issues. So maybe those are each about 20% lower than expected then just based on those things, the U.S. could see delays in achieving that herd immunity level that would run into the second quarter of 2023, according to these calculations. So there's a broad band of potential timelines and really a lot of factors at play. I mean, when we're talking about lowering the risk of COVID-19, is there a threshold? Is there an actual number which we're, we're measuring that by? 
So one way to look at that would be how many people need to be immune in society in order for the virus not to spread. And WHO has said that number is probably about 60 or 70 percent. So you need 60 or 70 percent of people that have immunity for the virus not to spread. And, you know, one way to achieve that would be for those people to have gotten sick. But obviously that's not ideal because then you're running into potentially very large numbers of people who are getting very sick. Um, so when we talk about that 60 to 70 percent threshold, we're generally talking about, okay, 60 to 70 percent of people have been vaccinated and they have immunity that way. Okay, so, you know, we've been largely focusing on this timeline as it relates to the U.S. And in terms of access, in terms of distribution, that might differ in other countries. And I was wondering if you had looked into just what different scenarios we might be seeing in other countries versus the U.S. when we talk about lowering this risk and and maybe even a potential timeline. So this is such a multi-pronged question to unpack. The U.S. will probably have more access to vaccine than many countries in the world, just because it's a wealthy country. It's a country that has already put a lot of money into finding these vaccines, and it has advanced purchase deals for vaccines. There was an Oxfam study that came out last month that found that wealthy nations that represent just 13% of the world's population already have essentially cornered more than half of the promised doses of leading vaccine candidates. So they've already tied up more than half of the capacity of vaccines that are being developed in advanced purchase deals, which leaves the vast majority of the world's population um, looking to get access to vaccine probably later. So that's one factor, is that the U.S., by virtue of wealth, is actually in pretty good shape in terms of getting access to vaccine. The other factor, of course, is that you can achieve some level of safety and social reopening by controlling the, the virus through other methods before a vaccine is present. And so there are countries that are really doing more with testing, tracing, mask wearing, all of these kinds of really boring, unsexy, basic public health measures that have been shown in some countries to really work well against the virus. Is there anything that either the U.S. government should be doing or, or Americans can be doing to try and bring about this best case scenario in terms of lowering the risk of COVID-19 by July 2021? Is there anything we can be doing right now or should be doing right now? So there are things that can be done on a government level and on an individual level. Um, on the government level, the WHO is urging all governments to invest in testing to promote mask wearing. And I also just want to mention treatments. There are treatments that are being developed for the virus and new treatment strategies. And I talked to one uh, company CEO from Novartis yesterday, actually, who said that he thinks that in the next year, doctors will slowly refine these treatments. They'll figure out better ways to treat people, figure out when to use certain medicines, and that also will be a mitigating measure to ensure that if people do get sick, they're able to get better quicker. That was Naomi Kresge. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Naomi Kresge. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.